All right. Welcome back to the Building a Fighter podcast. My name is Dr. Austin Shane. As always, I have with me this beautiful hunk of a man, Alex Friedman, badass strength coach for Denver, Denver Colorado. Uh, I am a sports chiropractor, a strength coach, and a wrestling coach up in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, Alex, it was awesome having you down here in Thanksgiving. I'm sorry to everybody. We didn't do this in person just due to technical difficulties. We were having too much fun. That was the technical <laughs> difficulty. And poor time management, I will admit. Lots, lots of fun. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, exclusively but to, irresponsible irresponsibility belongs to austin that's probably true but that's fine um so but today we're going to talk about just some tips for jujitsu athletes and just recreational jujitsu in general so everybody that loves rolling what you can do to make you healthier to make you better at jujitsu and just in general to elevate your jujitsu game uh, overall so Alex, yeah, and, and these tips also help you enjoy jujitsu for a longer period of time, right? There's going to be less time sat out. There's going to be less, less time that you feel like you have to give this up or, or um, you need a break per se. These tips will help you with your longevity in the jujitsu game. And like I also said, enhance your performance by, you know, incremental doses um, and make it just overall a more effective uh, hobby, more effective um, pursuit, more effective um growth that we're all going through and we want to make progress on the things that we're interested in. Um, but yeah, we give a, a couple lists of things and honestly, each one of these can be its own episode, but we're going to tie it all into jujitsu and briefly touch on uh, about four or five different things that help jujitsu practice. Um, and the first thing that we have is uh, implementing a either general or just some type of a warming up before you get into your roles is, is huge. Prepare your body for, you know, sometimes the jujitsu practice can get long and can get grueling, but you know, the days of just jumping on the mat and doing a light go. And then all of a sudden we're ready or like, or bullshitting with technique for 45 minutes and going at a, a pace of two miles an hour and then going into live roles. That's not necessarily an effective strategy to get, you know, high performance. Well, and we know more now than we used to know about this type of stuff. Right. So I hear time and time again, like I heard up in Portland when I was at alive, uh, everybody's talking about, Oh, warm ups, Like that's a pain in the ass. We do too much warm ups, da, 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 all these different things. And in reality, guess who didn't get hurt? The alive <laughs> MMA community. It was one of those things that a warm up while it's unfortunate that it does take a certain amount of time. And if you're going over 15 minutes of a warm up, that's too long. I'll be real honest with you. Um, but it, it is necessary, especially for people that aren't professional athletes that, that aren't, don't have those joint prepped, don't have the strength and conditioning that they're doing all these different things. It's good for you to know, Oh, Hey, I have a decrease in hip mobility. Let's do some cars before I actually even step onto the mat. And then from there, we can do some hip specific work. And then we jump into our sport specific, our shrimping, our uh, hip ups, all these different things that allow us to get ready for jujitsu in general, not just sport. Right. And I, I kind of hate it on, on just jumping in light roles and play wrestling. And I'm a huge fan of those things as like the last step of, I think those yep. are great 
tools to use, but generally prepare your body to move before that. You know, you should probably go into those light rolls of the play wrestling. You should probably go into those with a light sweat going or somewhat moderately breathing heavy. And I include that all in general warmups that I do. If we have a sweat rolling, we're breathing a little bit of heavy, then that's signals for me, the end of a warmup. And that can all be accomplished within, you know, five to seven minutes. I don't think that needs to, like I also said, needs to drag on and be, um, get lost in the weeds. Yeah. So something that I always think about for my warmups, like the first thing we got to do is raise the blood pressure or raise the heart rate. So when we're raising the heart rate, everything is going to be, we're going to get the system prepped. Then from there, we got to activate the muscles that are going to be used in jujitsu. Guess what? It's a total body sport. So we're going to do total body activation as well as activate all of these, or sorry, as, as well as like prep all of the mobility for the joints. So we want to make sure that they're stable and mobile. So the joints like the hips that need to be more mobile, we mobilize those. The joints like the, like, think about the lumbar spine. We try to stabilize that as much as possible. And then from there, we do sport-specific movements where we're talking about our shrimping, where we're talking about our line drills, all these different things. The big thing that I see with jujitsu is we just jump into line drills and we don't care about the first three steps where we're raising the heart rate, where we're doing any sort of mobility or activation and trying to get you ready for the line drills. And that's where a lot of things kind of fall apart is where when we're not ready to do shrimping, when we have a active hip deficit or say internal rotation deficit of the hip that's where problems arise yeah exactly what i was going to say those first three steps prime you to get more out of your specific warm-up right if we can you know correct some things or, or troubleshoot your hips troubleshoot you know the shoulder and elbow or something before you get into your shrimping then we're just adding benefit from there and but but alex can't we just run in circles? Oh my God. <laughs> so monotonous. So, oh God. Yeah. Wrestling warmups are notoriously bad, um, but <laughs> oh God. yeah, it's a habit though. You get into it. It's a comfortable routine, but I get the same thing nowadays. I have a, uh, we have a probably 15 yards of turf in our space and yeah. we just run back and forth on the turf. Oh man. It's, it's hard to tolerate. Um, but back to what I was saying, um, Warming up is literally that through your muscle tissue. It's increasing increasing the muscle temperature. Um, and then through that, we get more elasticity, more mobilization, simply because there's more blood flow and the temperature is higher, like literal degrees higher. Um, do you remember the word for that? What is the word for that? I don't know. All right. There's a cool word for when your muscles become more elastic because they're warmer. But Hemodynamics. Stop. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. Uh I don't, I don't remember. I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember. But yeah, I mean that, that, um, general warmup is going to prime you and get your specific warmup to be all the more effective, all the more, um, important or all the more uh, benefits from it. Yeah. So just actual takeaways from this, make sure you're hitting your hips, make sure you're doing some sort of stabilization for your spine, and then make sure you're getting your shoulders prepped for our jujitsu practice. Cause those are three major joints that we need mobility in the shoulder and the hip. And we need our low back to be as stable as possible because we do know, and that's going to be something later in the podcast that the low back has a lot of risk of discarniation with jujitsu. And that's one of those things where if we can prep it on the front end and get our proper patterns firing in the first place. So activating the trunk, activating the anterior musculature to decrease stress on the disc that's going to be an awesome way for you in general 
to be able to jump into jujitsu and be at a decreased risk of anything bad happening, keeping you on the mat for as long as possible. Perfect. The second tip that we have, the next one moving on, is to understand and use some passive modalities appropriately. I think um, passive modalities are your things like your foam rolling, your Theragun, your so right, whatever you have that, again, is not something you're actively working on to rehab an injury or to make yourself feel better. Some of those passive modalities, I think they get used and abused and have been a, uh, a main promotion of the, the market marketing that's out there, but using them appropriately. And, and Austin's going to speak a little bit about how to do that. So first off, I've seen it too many times. So I'm going to say it right up front. If you get arm barred and I see you using a Theragun, Compex Gun, Hypervolt, whatever it may be, on your actual elbow, on the back of your elbow, right on the bone, and hitting it repetitively, I am going to just look at you and do like the Game of Thrones shame bell. Shame, <laughs> shame, shame. That's not what you should do. So what is a Theragun or all these different massage guns good for? It's a good way to decrease tension in a muscle as well as decrease the pain that you're feeling. So the vibration, the, the vibrocussion is technically what they call it. It causes a, a specific, we'll say neural pathway to be fired that'll decrease pain in an area as well as decrease some local tension. What it is not going to do is it's not going to accelerate healing. It is not going to increase much blood flow in the area. It's not going to do much for helping the injury. Think about it almost like ibuprofen, but locally versus globally. So it can help with pain in a certain area. And I'm, I'm bringing up the massage guns first because that's what I see in in professional sports as well as the recreational athletes I see, that's what they use most frequently is those hypervolts where they just da 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 right on the elbow, right on the quads before they start. Actually it's a it's a decent thing to do before you even start your practice in general for like two to three minutes. When trouble arises with these passive modalities, whether it's a vibration gun, whether it's a foam roller, whether it's uh, a so right um, whether you're using any of these different things is when you exclusively use that for upwards of 10 to 15 minutes. When you think that that is your warm up, tying it back to the first thing, that's the problem. Because in reality, that's not doing any of the four core principles we just talked about. That's not getting you raising your blood pressure or raising your heart rate. That's not activating or mobilizing muscles. And that's not doing any sort of sport specific prep. All it does is decrease sensitivity or in a hyperalgesic state is the medical term where there's a bunch of pain that you're feeling that's not supposed to be painful. Then what it does is it decreases that state and allows you to go through practice, but it doesn't fix anything, which is problematic, right? So my tips on my end before Alex gets into it is if you're going to use your massage guns, if you're going to use your complex devices, the e-stim, if you're going to use your foam rolling, try to limit it to, all right, I'm going to do this for a minute or two. I'm going to smash the muscle a little bit, decrease the sensitivity. But then after that, I know I need to mobilize or stabilize that muscle that I just worked on because that's really going to be what matters. It's not going to just make this short-term gain, which is mobilizing with, or sorry, which is going to be the vibration or the foam roller. Yeah. And exactly. When I, when I have athletes foam roll, I usually try and limit it to about 30 seconds per, you know, anatomical body part. But the other thing that we do is I think 
everybody gets into these modalities and, and it's just a token thing. You know, we're doing it to do it. I don't think a lot of people do it for a, an exact effect or they, they don't spend the time to get to that effect. You know, rolling fast over your quads is not going to loosen them. It's not going to achieve <laughs> any of the foam rolling benefits that you think it is. Yeah. You know, the slower, the more you can relax on the foam roll, the more you can actually sink your muscles around the implement or let the implement do its job then you're going to get a little bit more out of it. So I always coach my athletes to go slowly through their foam rolling, you know, take some time, savor it and marinate the muscle because that's again, in the end, end game, that's what Austin says. We're desensitizing a little bit. We're increasing a little bit of blood flow. I don't know that we truly ever get to, you know, quote unquote, fascial release or stuff like that. We maybe move the tissues a little bit. Um, but again, it's not a band. It's not a cure all. It's not a hole in place of your warm up. It's not going to take away all of your soreness. Um, blood flow and movement are going to work a hundred more times better to take away your soreness than 15 minutes on a foam roller. Right. And the, the thing with the passive modalities is that they're easy, right? Everybody yeah. loves the passive modalities because they're easy to do. It doesn't take much effort for me to massage gun my quads or to throw a complex device on my glutes, but not everything in life is easy, right? The, the good parts of life aren't easy. So when we want to actually make lasting changes with the joints, if we want to actually fix things, not just temporarily mask things, that's when we throw into our entire routine. That's when we throw in our mobility work. That's when we throw in our warmups. That's when we throw in our rehab that are going to fix these things that you feel on a daily basis. Because I know it's crazy to think, but you shouldn't have to foam roll before every single practice. If you have a problem that hasn't gone away in seven months and all you do are, is foam rolling, guess what? You've probably messed up in some way, shape, or form, and you should probably fix that problem because if it's not fixed in seven months of foam rolling, guess what? That's probably not the solution for you. Yeah, you're treating the symptom, not the root cause. Exactly, exactly. Think, yeah, that's another thing that I think a lot of these um, passive modalities get forced on is we focus on the output rather than the problem, you know, and I even see this happening in a rehab setting where let's take away the pain, but let's not layer it with the foundation of better rehab or better movement, right? So I think that's that's a critical area that, that people need to be aware of or that practitioners need to cement in with their practice. Right. Well, and it's one of those things like, and, and to layer on top of everything we were talking about with passive modalities being easy, the actual fix is boring as all hell. Like you're telling me, dude, like you, would you mo do mobility work for more than 15 minutes a day? Cause I love mobility work and I don't think I would do it more than 15 minutes a day. Cause it's boring as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> like, yep. It's one of those things like it, uh, we know the solution, but it's a lot more fun to da -da 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 gun your quad than it is to do a couch stretch right into a tibial car, right into breathing work which I feel like I have to say in every single podcast because it's so important, but into our breath work and all these different things that really make the lasting changes. Um, so to sum up everything with the passive modalities, make sure you're using them. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on them, but make sure you're only using them sparingly. That shouldn't be the uh, the main point of your warm up. That shouldn't be the main point of your recovery. That shouldn't be the main point of your training. Because if it is, there's some sort of problem going on, which you should probably get looked at. Going into the third thing, though, talking about just training in general for the jujitsu athlete, Alex, 
what do you what do you think is some good training tips as far as strength and conditioning for jujitsu athletes? Right. Yeah. Strength and conditioning as a whole, I think implementing it and not that every person that ever does jujitsu needs to hire a strength and conditioning coach or needs to get into this, but solidifying a foundation of strength in certain key aspects is going to help your jujitsu game period. So I think about grip strength, isometric strength, um, different areas. <coughs> Whoa, sorry. Bless you. <laughs> but I think about isometric strength. I think about uh, strength at end ranges of motion, you know, uh, increasing your hamstrings, things and, and the stabilization through your hips. So I think about when I get in a funky position, am I able to hold that position? Am I able to be aware enough to land on top or to be able to slit or stabilize in a funky position? So we need to work on the end ranges, get stronger in those end ranges, not just in a concentric fashion, not just moving through a squat, not just uh, doing those basic type of lifts. Maybe we need to hold end range at the bottom of a split squat. Maybe we need to open up the shoulder and get strong in the extended range of motion and create armor in, in those at-risk positions that we oftentimes get into in jujitsu. All right. I'm going to rapid fire you real quick. Please, um, I, so, so we did a whole podcast on some of the best exercises for combat sports, but I want to give a this or that for Alex, just because it's fun for me to put him on the spot. Please. So for jujitsu athletes, which one is more important, hinging or squatting? I go with a hinge. I mean, you need a lot more lumbopelvic control. You need to uh, be able to control your lumbar spine. So what's lumbopelvic control for people listening? <laughs> uh, lumbopelvic control is basically how you control the posture of your low back and the posture of your hips. So whether you're arching your lower back and sticking your butt out or you're kind of you have the the plumber's butt and you have no butt where your hips are completely rounded under. So tilting your hips and your pelvis and being aware first off and then creating control in that. I think of things like doing cat cows from yoga, uh, moving your lower back so that you can gain awareness and where is neutral, where is healthy for you. Uh, that's the first step in understanding, you know, lumbo pelvic control. And it's one of the hardest things that I coach and, and try and get athletes to recognize. I like it. Number two, which one is more important for jujitsu athlete overhead pressing like a shoulder press or a military press or vertical or sorry, horizontal pressing like a bench press. I would say overhead pressing. I think that opens up a lot more ranges of motion and exposes the shoulder to um, more stressful atmosphere than a straight on vertical bench press, horizontal press. Um, the horizontal press is pretty tough on the shoulders um, but the overhead press again is more preparatory for positions that your shoulder is going to get to in jujitsu. <laughs> and last one, this isn't a this nor that. This is just a question. What is one range of motion that uh, jujitsu athletes need, but most of them lack? Whether it's shoulder, hip, spine, whatever it may be. What's what's the one range of motion we could give them? Well, I mean, I, I branch off. Um, what we just talked about a little bit and go with shoulder external rotation. I feel like as a collective population, grapplers have the anterior shifted shoulders. So they're hunching over on their shoulders like they're continually on their laptop because we're always fighting in a position where I need to roll forward to keep my traps up to protect my neck, stuff like that. So we're missing a little bit of strength in that external rotation period, which can help you, you know, 
feel a little bit less pain in your everyday life and help your shoulder function a little better, but maybe beneficial for the sport. But if we can give an athlete that external rotation, then they're going to have that tool in their toolbox. Follow-up question. How do they get that external rotation? I'll just give them a bunch of bands, you know, four by 20 on uh, J bands all day. Um, I think isometric and, and body weight control of that range of motion is going to get you there or that's going to be able to exercise. Um, I think concentric strength to a degree can help, you know, TRX, T's. Um, I do do some banded work, uh, but it shouldn't be just an easy, you know, band program that we throw somebody on. It should be teaching them to move their scapula in upward rotation, downward rotation, elevation, depression. Um, so your scapula is your shoulder blade trying to get it to move and flow the ways it should not get stuck and move the ways it's used to. <laughs> and this is actually the last one. Sorry. I thought of one more. Um, how many days a week? So I, as a recreational jujitsu athlete, I like rolling five days a week. How many days a week should I be training? If you know me, you know, I'm always on the run up early and home late. So having a three hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop mixed in water once a day and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. Check it out. If you know me, you know I'm always on the run up early and home late. So having a three hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs 
with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash proven grit. That's drinkag1.com slash proven grit. Check it out. And not whether it's not on the map or should also be in the gym. Um, I mean, I think that's usually dependent on the individual. I wouldn't say you need to come strength conditioning more than two, three times a week. Um, I think if you're getting quality sessions and you're putting good work in as far as getting a totally rounded program, whether it being mobility, stability, strength work, um, specific positional work, the two times a week is going to be fine. If you like training and like being in the gym, by all means, come more frequently than that. But I don't want to compound training in jujitsu and have somebody working out 10 times a week that is not recovering and doesn't have the lifestyle that allows for the recovery for that. Yep. And to add, to add my little two cents, cause that's what I like to do. Um, this when, is the part where he tells me everything I said wrong or what he thinks I should have said. No, I'm just elaborating. Um, when, when you're a beginner, I think, honestly, I think beginners, it's more important for you for your longevity to also be in the weight room as you're, as you're on the mat. So like as a beginner, a lot of people, what's called like the blue belt curse, if you will, is you do jujitsu for a year, really, really hard. You go six days a week. You love it. It's so fun. And then either you burn out or you hurt your body because you're getting put in all these different situations that in reality, your body's not ready for. Like there's a quote, I think it was, was it Mark Ripito that had the strong, the strong person quote, stronger people are harder to kill and generally more useful in society. Yep. And like, that's a perfect quote. Like you should be strong before you get into doing jujitsu five days a week. It's one of those things that jujitsu is while it's so fun and I love it, it is hard on the body. And it, that's, that's not to promote a fear mentality, like don't do jujitsu, but you need to know what you're getting into. It's one of those things that you should have a prerequisite level of strength if you want to roll five days a week, because the stronger your joints are, the more likely that you're able to complete your roles, the more likely you're able to do five days a week, the more likely they're able to roll into your forties, into your fifties, which a lot of jujitsu athletes love to do. And that's, that's the goal at the end of the day. If you're not a professional, the goal is for you to roll as long as possible and have as much fun as possible with your jujitsu family. So the best way for you to stay on the mat is to also stay in the weight room. Gives you, yeah, it gives you a ton more longevity and, when or if you do get injured, like we're saying, jujitsu is hard in the body. If you're stronger and you have the correct training in place, you're going to come back from that injury a lot quicker and it's going to be a lot less severe on your whatever, your joint, your hip, your knee, um, because your body's more resilient and it has a higher threshold of work capacity, of mobility, of things like that. And again, I, Austin said it perfect. Laying that foundation of strength is hugely important to be able to continue the practice. I think. Can you, can you say that again? <laughs> I was going to say that was about third time we said it, right? No, that Austin said it perfect. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> God damn What's the fourth one, Alex? Intro people. <laughs> identify <laughs> god uh i'm gonna never compliment austin again uh i like to do that i would like that to be public record um fourth tip and uh one of the ones we're gonna plan on ending here with is identifying the injury earlier identifying at-risk injuries early don't just continue to hammer through and grind and make everything worse i think if you can identify something or something's nagging you for a while or it's above you know it's up there on the pain scale 
or it's affecting you when you're not at jujitsu, when you're not specifically thinking about it, then I think you need to get uh, a solid uh, pair of eyes on the injury, understand what it is and how to move forward, not just ignoring it and hammering through. Correct. I like that. Um, the big thing that I see, and I'm going to make a parallel to CrossFit athletes, not saying that jujitsu athletes are CrossFit athletes, but the culture is very similar where in CrossFit, you have a box. That's what they call their gyms, whether it's a dumb name or not, that can be debated. Um, but they have a family that they don't want to miss out on, right? You get that FOMO, that fear of missing out when you're not at the gym. Jiu-Jitsu is the same way. You have your gym, you have your gym family. You, you miss out when you're not at those roles. Like you feel like you're missing something. And whether it's an injury, whether you're, you miss it for an event, whatever it have you, you feel like you're missing out. Bringing it back to the injury, the one thing that CrossFit athletes have done really, really well, and I would say jujitsu needs to catch up on, is that CrossFit athletes, as soon as they feel a tweak, a bump, a scrape, a bruise, whatever it may be, they seek out help because they realize that if I take care of this on the front end, that it's not going to be so bad on the back end. Now, it might be the nature of combat sports, but in jujitsu, if you feel like a tweak in your knee, say, which is very common, say you feel like your MCL is tweaked on the inside of your knee, you're like, oh, you know, that's fine. I'll just roll with it for another two months. And you just keep rolling and rolling and rolling. When in reality, if you, as soon as you felt the tweak, went and got it checked out by a healthcare practitioner, um, you did some treatment on it, you only would have missed maybe a week or two maybe. And honestly, through those days, it probably could have been modified just to help you. If you didn't do that, which is what most people do in jujitsu, guess what? You have that, oh, my menis- or my MCLs hurt. Oh, da, 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 da. Guess what? It's torn now. Great. Uh, like full tear. So by, by overloading the tissue and repetitively loading that tissue that is damaged, you're going in- to increase the damage response that's going to increase the actual overall threat to the tissue. It's going to keep being in pain and it's going to further exacerbate your symptoms. And I mean, I have another little plug here for strength and conditioning because one, you're not going to get as many of those nagging painful injuries or if your tendons are strong and your muscle has built up a tolerance to that load. But two, if you feel that injury right away and then um, you decide to take maybe a day or two off of um, jujitsu and put that towards a strength and condi- a quality strength and conditioning program or quality strength and conditioning coach. You can get that taken care of or at least addressed in some type of manner right away and put you on a faster track to being back on the mat to being uh, ready to go full go. That little insertion of strength and conditioning should again should you not just hammer it out in the gym should you go and and truly mobilize and truly build some stability around it that puts you on a faster track uh like we said back to conversation competition back to you know your practice rather than um just having a nagging thing that affects you for months and months and months well and that's a good part to take a little sidetrack to is instead of taking a rest day or seven which is what a lot of jujitsu people do. Oh, you're like, oh, I'll, I'll take, I'll rest it for six days and then jump back in. That doesn't heal the tissue in any way, shape or form. So it's one of those things that it's, it used to be this. Um, I think the actual term in, in the past was called price. So protect, rest, um, ice, compress, elevate. 
And now what we, what we, what is price has been taken over with in, in most evidence-based programs is going to be called police, which is protect optimally load ice, compress, elevate, which is, uh, I still don't ice a whole bunch, but uh, there's, there's bad things with the analogy, but I really, really like the go from the R to the OL, which is going to be optimally load. If you just rest the tissue, nothing is really going, you're not accelerating healing in any way, shape or form. You're just letting your body do the bare minimum. If you will, you're getting a C minus in recovery. Instead of doing that, if, if, if we actually try to load the tissue, if we do isometric loading, if we do rehab, if we do these different strategies, if we do dry needling to accelerate, accelerate the healing process from the body within, we can do all these different strategies to accelerate the healing. Hey, that brings that C minus up to maybe a B plus or an A minus, all these different things that are going to save you six to seven days on the recovery process. Yeah. And I want to go on the opposite side of the opposite side of the optimal loading too, because I think I, I see people do this as well when they have that injury or whatever. And they're like, all right, well, I did a jujitsu. I'll take a day or, or a week off of jujitsu and I'll just really hammer it at the gym. And then they go and they, <laughs> they squat max for five RM or, yeah, or they yeah. max out on the deadlift. It's like, there's that end of the spectrum too. That is not optimal loading. That brings your grade of recovery down to, you know, an F or, or a D by overstressing an already beaten up tissue, whether you realize it or not, because uh, to your body. And, and we've said this before too, stress is stress. Your body doesn't recognize that rolling in jujitsu hurts your knee. And now it won't recognize that squatting is a different stress of like, okay, the knee is still active and still being, you know, worked on or being injured in that particular parameter. Um, so optimally load and, and there's a sweet spot on the spectrum for that. Yeah. The, the key word is optimal, not just load. like you, you want to make sure you're not overloading the tissue. Um, but bring it, bring it back to the, the main point of kind of this, this tip is when we focus on any sort of injury that's sustained from jujitsu is you got to remember that when you're not a professional athlete, you're doing jujitsu as a hobby, your hobby should not inhibit any other part of your life. And that's a good rule you should live by, right? Is that if, if you go to jiu-jitsu and you're, and you're just destroying, say, a very, very common, like we pr- mentioned previously, injury is a lumbar disc herniation. You get that low back pain from having a loaded, flexed lumbar spine, that low back, and it, then it typically radiates to the butt cheeks all the way down to maybe behind the knee. It also decreases mobility. Guess what? Well, if you're a desk worker, that's going to further injure, not injure, but it's going to further irritate the area and you're going to get the pain. Hey, maybe it goes from behind the knee down to the calf and that's going to further exacerbate the symptoms. It's going to flare that up. And that right there means that your jujitsu practice, your hobby, your love of this recreational sport is inhibiting your work, which is a big no-no. It shouldn't get in the way of your work. All of this could have been avoided if... We took it on the front end. We isolated the injury. We found out what was going on. We did the proper testing. You went to a qualified healthcare practitioner and we were like, hey, you probably have a lumbar disc herniation. Let's do some of these different McKenzie press-ups. Let's do some of these different dead bug exercises. Let's strengthen the area and decrease the symptoms that allow you to get back to jujitsu. And we're also going to modify what you do day to day. Maybe we, if we can get you from a seated desk to a standing desk. And, or in reality, we, instead of watching TV, sitting down, you do it laying on your stomach in a prone prop. 
all these different like quick little tips are going to, if you go to somebody that's competent and knows about jujitsu, knows about disc herniations, they're easy ways to mitigate furthering this injury. But if you just try to handle it on your own, you're like, oh man, I'm not, I'm a jujitsu athlete. I'm a blue belt. I'm tougher than this shit. Well, guess what? It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And I hate to break it to you, but it's not just you guys that are in pain. It's white belts, blue belts, purple belts, brown belts, and black belts. All of you guys are in pain. So just because of whatever belt you think you are or whatever, however tough you think you are, doesn't mean that you can't get injured. And that's not something that you should be ashamed of. You're in a combat sport. Sometimes things break. I equate it to your body's like a car. You need regular maintenance if you're going to be doing something athletic. That's just how it goes. And sometimes it's once every four months for black belts and professional athletes. Sometimes it's like once every two weeks, once every week. But you have to realize that your body needs maintenance. Your body needs to be able to heal. And if you don't give it that time, then it's just going to break down just like any other piece of equipment or any other technology. Yeah. Right. And plug strength conditioning again, you don't all the time wait for your car to break down to get any maintenance on it. Right. You don't, you don't wait for something to go wrong to change your oil. Right. Insert strength conditioning where we can have that maintenance as we go and keep things, you know, lubed up, keep things working properly the whole way through as you drive into your practice, as you continue to push every day and day in and day out. But I want to explain a little bit and talk about the point that you made, Austin. Your hobby should not get in the way of your life. If anything, a hobby that you have should enhance everything else that you have around you. Not to say that there's not going to be painful times or trying, um, a worthwhile hobby or pursuit is going to have some down uh, valleys and, and lows to it. But that being said, one of the things I keep true to and people that come to my gym and work out and it's a hobby for them, they should never leave feeling worse than when they walked in. Right. That's mm-hmm. a huge point is I'm not going to downgrade their life by having them do something that they enjoy. And I think you can extrapolate that into pretty much all the walks of life where maybe you do need to start jujitsu. If you're starting out jujitsu, go two days a week for two or three weeks, and then you can up to three days a week, and then you can tolerate more week in and week out. You know, the first time that I've started practicing jujitsu, I'd been maybe a year and a half out of collegiate wrestling. And so, you know, I, I'm this big tough guy. I was like, I'm a collegiate wrestler. I can, I started, I practiced six days a week for two and a half hours. Like, let me go to, yeah, let me go to jujitsu. Big strong Alex. Let me go to jujitsu five days a week because it's nothing compared to collegiate wrestling that I haven't done in a year and a half or whatever. And then, you know, I walk out of after two weeks with, you know, my lumbar killing me and I can barely walk, you know? So I think it's a lesson learned in time, but also, moderate your lows and have a a realistic expectation of starting a new hobby, right? Go two times a week, increase that to three times as you tolerate it, you know, and don't jump both feet in just because you know, you're tough enough to, it's not about proving that you're tough enough to nobody cares if, you know, if you're tough enough to continue to come, it's how well can you do and how can you build up that consistency? Um, Which I think, a lot of people, again, equate to, I need to be there every day because otherwise I'm going to look like a pussy or I'm not going to, you know, be part of the group. I think take it on yourself to moderate and to understand what is good for you, what is going to allow you to get the most enjoyment out of uh, your pursuit. 
Well, and that's, that's a good point that you don't need, like everything can be done in moderation, right? You can go mm-hmm. five days a week, but if you have some, something that's irritating you and you have, so you're working with a healthcare practitioner, a strength coach, whatever it may be, and you have isolated these different deficiencies, if you will, then you can modify your training if they are, if they know jujitsu, if they're competent with combat sports. Right. So I'm not going to have somebody with a lumbar disc herniation playing a, a fucking inverted guard game. That's yeah. dumb. <laughs> I'm going to pull that out right away and say, Hey, we're not going to drill this today. And I need you to know why we're not going to drill this today. And we educate them along the process. Yeah. So the same can be said with any other injury. Say you have a meniscus, say you have a uh, meniscus issue, left knee, whatever it may be. I'm not going to be having them drill wrestling takedowns. I'm going to be having them play a guard game because that's going to be open chain to the knee. It's going to decrease the actual impact on the knee. They can still do the activity that they love, but they don't have to do the damaging effects of all these different things. And that that's a good point that we need to make is that you can, even if you're hurt, you can still modify your activities. And that just means you just need to go to the right person that can help you modify these activities. Cause that's what people like me and Alex are for. Yeah. Any coach that's worth their salt is understanding and can adapt to get the best out of the, the athlete's environment. Right. So whatever's going on with you individually, um, still come, you can still come. We're just going to have to change our game game plan a little bit, which again should be within a coach's repertoire. Um, I, uh, a good rule that I have at my gym is regardless of what's hurting, you know, you played a game on Friday night or you had a, a tournament Saturday, Sunday, come to that Monday, you know, strength and conditioning session, regardless how you feel. I understand that, you know, you're going to be banged up or something's going to go wrong after your competition or, you know, after a hard weeks of practice and work still come, it's going to do better for you than it will hurt you. I'm not going to run you into the ground. If I already know that you're, you've been ran into the ground. I'm going to modify some things, make you feel better. Yeah. We'll maybe do a little bit of work and, and get a sweat going, but still come because there is a lot of benefit that can happen. Don't just, you know, blow it off as that quote unquote rest, not optimal loading. And the last part about this before we sign off is uh, I know a lot of athletes, not just jujitsu, a lot of recreational weekend warriors, they don't want to go get things checked out because they're afraid that the healthcare person is going to say, well, you should like, you shouldn't be running. You shouldn't be running your marathons. And that that's a major, that's a major thing. But that's something that not not to boost our ego that we're trying to fix with combat sports. There should never be a healthcare practitioner that says, well, man, you should never roll again. That's fucking dumb because that's going to hurt them more than help them. That's going to make them go down a downward spiral and think that, why am I doing this thing that I love so much? When in reality, all we got to do is modify three things. We just got to stay out of X guard. We got to stay out of inverted movements and all these different these different subtle changes that can benefit somebody in the long run. So just know that if you find the right person, if you find the right healthcare practitioner, and like like we say every time, me and Alex can get you in touch with the right strength coach, the right healthcare person in your area, and let us know, we'll find somebody for you. But if they know anything about strength and conditioning, or they know anything about this combat sport world, they can modify your activities to best benefit you in order for you to continue to do the record, the jujitsu that you love, because just because you have a low, low back disc herniation, just because you have neck radiculopathy. So tingling and pain down your arm doesn't mean you need to stop jujitsu. Maybe you need to take a break for a day or two. Maybe you need to take a break for two weeks, 
and just do rehab. But that doesn't mean you should never be able to do that again. And you should know, know that moving forward that anybody that tells you you need to stop an activity without consulting at least two to three different people to make sure that this is for sure what needs to happen, they're just blowing smoke up your ass. They're just, they're just trying to talk you into care, which is predatory and ridiculous. Right. Right. And on that semi-negative note, we're going to talk about just summing up uh, the tips that we had for your recreational jujitsu and, and ways that you can enhance your already um, going pr- uh, pursuit or practice um, of what you're doing. You know, first thing we talked about was implementing an effective warm up. Doesn't have to be long, can be short and sweet, but make it effective. Do things like um, mobilize, activate, um, stimulate some of the muscle tissue, do some of those general things before you get into your specific shrimping and, and line drills in your jujitsu practice. Apply the passive modalities appropriately, use them in a, uh, a short time window, use them somewhat calmly and slowly and effectively don't just run the theragun down your leg up and down for 10 minutes and call that a quote-unquote warm-up utilize snc use that as a resource Um, a lot of coaches out there have a generally good idea of how you can pick that up and start it to complement your jujitsu practice there's a lot of coaches that also use that as a detriment to jujitsu so just be a, a informed consumer on what you're doing for strength and conditioning we can also do that and program for you if you if you send us a message <laughs> reach out to building a fighter we can definitely get you started along the way on your snc journey to help um and improve your jiu-jitsu practice and lastly identify your injuries early if it's truly something that, that warrants getting looked at which most things are we just like to ignore them get it looked at get on the right track back to performance earlier rather than later. Yeah. My rule for if something is, I I forgot about this till now, my rule for if something is an actual issue is if it lasts the morning after. So if you're feeling pain the day after your role, yeah, you you probably should get that checked out. If it goes away during your role, well, it's probably not a big deal. But if, if you wake up and you're not sore, you're in pain, you need to get that checked out. I think, yeah. And I mean, I think everybody's a very poor judge on pain versus soreness versus this an issue, is it not? So message us again. Let us know what's going on, what's bothering you. We can help you sift through that and get to the right people or get an accurate um, estimation of what, what's going on. Yep. So as always, thank you all for listening. This was Building a Fighter. If you got a get in contact with us our instagram handles and our emails are in the show notes beautifully written by alex friedman um and then thank you guys for listening this was we love doing this and if you could like share rate whatever it may be give us as many shout outs as you possibly can because that helps us do what we love and it helps us get to more people so as always this is dr austin shane alex friedman and we are out